It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good to see all of you here today. Um, talking about landing well and, or leaving well and landing better, which by uh, just by looking at that title, you're probably thinking, you know, we're talking about leaving a congregation. You know, when you leave a congregation behind, there's obviously going to be some some probably deep seated emotional attachment that you have to the people that you've been with for X number of months or years. Uh, if you've been if you have been connected to people's lives so that they call you at you know 2 a.m. because they've had a car accident, and you go to them and you develop that closeness then when you make that decision or the decision is made for you to leave that place and go to a new work, uh, there can be some, some hurt feelings, some confusion, uh, sometimes some animosity. Mm-hmm. Other times, um, you know, people are, are thankful <laughs> you know, that, that they're getting a new start on things. Uh, so there's just a whole array of, of different circumstances that go into this, and my discussion with you today will not try to cover all the bases on this. We are going to try to cover at least some of the more major issues, and especially, like I said, the last three Roman numerals, this will be the, the practical things or the practical things that you may be using. Um, I've oftentimes thought that biblical universities, Bible-based universities, that's me, um, I've oftentimes thought that we ought to have or should have um, classes on church polity or ecclesiastical polity uh, because we do deal with issues like this. And what happens is, and this at least was me, uh, when you're going through uh, undergraduate tones, you know, undergraduate work, you are so busy in consuming as much knowledge and information as you can because you in your mind are declaring that one day I'm going to be with the people of God, want to develop them as close as I can. So you, you make yourself um, kind of a, what, a sponge for, for knowledge. And along the way, though, we maybe forget that the people on the outside do not have maybe the same zeal and spiritual focus we do. And sometimes what happens is uh, pettiness and, and trite concepts and ideals get in the minds of the brethren before we ever get to them. And so we go out here with this, this very zealous idea and statement, I'm going to change the world, and you run into roadblocks, and you have problems along the way, and you're thinking, why are these you know, bad things happening to me, so to speak, and we feel like Job. Uh, so what do you do when you're forced then, or when you come to a conclusion or decision, it's time for you to go ahead and go? Let me give you five words that we want to discuss, or no, I just want you to have these in the back of your mind, okay? Five pertinent words to this would be number one, body. We're dealing with the body of Christ. It's a singular, not, not plural, so body is a big deal. Uh, number two would be fellowship. I don't want my fellowship with other with brethren being broken just because I happen to be distanced by time and space. I'd like that relationship to be strong and to continue as it can when I'm you know, gone from them. So we want to develop that as much as we can with, with a caveat. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, the third idea would be, um, let's go with the word, what we do, fellowship. What was the two I got so far? All right, let's go unity. Go unity, okay? Do not want to disrupt the flow of unity. Anytime you do that, you will carry a kind of stamp or a mark on your forehead the rest of your life. You don't want to carry that kind of stigma. So you want to maintain the unity of the congregation uh, long after you're gone. Um, watch for ego. That's a big word. Ego. Sometimes egos uh, elevate ourselves up on a platform beyond everybody else. And sometimes we leave a perfectly good work just because ego may take us to that place that we think is going to be far greener you know, on the other side. And the last one is, of course, ministry. I think that's the last word. Ministry is the last word. Put that down. Ministry is, is an expression of our design. 
Uh, if you think back to Romans 12, verses 8 and following, um, every, every member is a minister. Every ministry is important. Uh, ministries require other ministries to really take off and do well, and ministry is an expression of our design as Christians. So ministry, ego, body, unity, ministry, all, all those things then, you know, and fellowship go together. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going to start today. I, I do want you to recognize that sometimes we have an abrupt kind of education on the job training, so to speak. If you have, uh, I want to say delusions of grandeur, but if you think you know, things are always going to be exactly the way you think they're going to be once you step out there and you realize that's not the reality of the situation, we suddenly have a, an abrupt education. We get graduate degrees you know, in, in human nature very, very quickly. And so that's some of what we want to deal with today and how we will take care of those things. So here's, here's who we are. Our, we have a heart for ministry. You wouldn't be doing this if you did not have a heart for ministry. At the very same time, human beings as a whole, we are people that desire progress. I think that's right. At least that's mine. So this is, since I'm the one talking, it's from my perspective. Um, nobody in here would ever want to leave a place worse than they found it. You know, it'd be, a, it'd be a, a heartfelt shame to walk into a congregation that has unity and, and connectivity and then be the reason or the cause for that kind of division when the congregation is, in fact, doing what they should be doing from a biblical, you know, spiritual perspective. So we don't ever want to get into that, into that, that mode or mindset. And so some of these things are, are just, it includes these, but it's not just going to be these things. But sometimes uh, you can't wait to leave, right? Sometimes you can't wait to leave. I mean, that's the reality of it. I'm just going to give you a kind of a reality check 101. Sometimes you need to go quickly for your own sake, for the sake of your, your you know, inner psyche, for your, well, your, your own personal health, maybe. Uh, hopefully we've not all been you know, beaten down by, by people who want to take us out, but those are the kinds of things that can take place. You, you sometimes want to go, and maybe you feel like you've gone as far as you can go, and so maybe it's time for someone else to take the reins and to develop that work even more. Number two, sometimes a decision is, um, is made for you to go. Maybe you didn't really have a choice in that, and you woke up one day, whether it's a good or bad decision, uh, you woke up one day thinking to yourself, why is this happening? It kind of goes along with this third idea, sometimes due to non-spiritual people who have a trite view of spirituality and a trite view of fellowship and don't really care about unity in the Lord's church and developing the work for the future. Sometimes that decision is made for you, and uh, because that choice is made, it does rip your heart out. And maybe the, you know, the 30 or 40% or the 50 or 60% that are really, really your closest friends, um, they can't stop the motion once it's begun. And it rips, it rips your heart out. You're thinking, man, why can these people make a statement so definitive that so changes my future just because a few people over here are not subject to the, the majority view, but they're the ones in power and charge and control, and they take that kind of Diotrephes approach to doing it their own way. You know, that, that hurts, and it makes you hurt for, uh, for maybe even years to come. Number four, though, sometimes, I don't know if I even have spaces for this, but number four, um, <laughs> there's an open door that, that just pops up, and you can't wait to run through it. And once that kind of thing, of course, takes place and you're looking for that open door, you're able to develop yourself to a, to a greater future. We're going to understand the concept of God's providential care in this entire uh, process of your work and development. Then recognize that God always has a purpose behind everything, even though at the time things may appear to be so negative, we can't ever see how this can truly you know, work out for the good and develop for a greater, greater tomorrow. So um, remember this in, every, in everything, though, okay? Remember this, and you hold on to it even when your brethren don't, okay? These people are still your brethren. They're still the Lord's people. They're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't ever want to disrupt that and break that one down. 
And so if you understand and appreciate there is an overarching premise up here of God's grace, God's mercy, God's, God's marvelous uh, care and concern for your life, and then you have yourself and you have brethren over here, it'd be a wonderful thing if in a perfect world we could maintain that sense of unity and fellowship and the body of Christ and, and disallow egos to kind of come in there and disrupt the flow that the, the blood of Christ has actually allowed us to connect ourselves to. Okay? So we have to keep that in mind the entire time. Okay, Now having said all that, humanity does desire progress. I think we've said that already. Humanity desires progress. And we as human beings sometimes, we want to, uh, we want to progress. But the problem is, this is on your sheet, the problem is oftentimes we, we have this in mind that progress automatically means a larger congregation and more money. So that becomes the kind of, of uh, what? That becomes the standard for what progress really is. As long as it's more money involved, then I'm able to leave because I have a reason now. I have a financial reason. Not to say we don't, okay? But I'm saying if that's the sole reason for progress, and if the other reason is because, well, I'm going to a larger congregation, and those are the sole reasons for my progress, then maybe, you know, we need to watch and maybe check the ego to make sure that's not, you know, I'm not trying to elevate myself, but rather trying to see what is the very best for the body of Christ in the area I'm in, and what can I do for this congregation? Can I, in fact, take them to a, another level? Um, back when I was in Cleveland, Tennessee, I was uh, going through some turbulent times out there. I called up Phil Sanders. I said, Phil, here's the, here's the situation. And here's what he told me. And I've never forgotten this. He said, James, I want you to know, you know, that humble, you know, uh, voice he has. He says, I want you to know, James, bigger isn't better. Bigger is more. Bigger is more. And what he meant by that was just because you have larger numbers doesn't mean that you have, have a, a better time necessarily. Uh, in fact, statistically speaking, I suspect, um, when you have a congregation of 100 versus 400, it doesn't mean that it's automatically better. It means you have a, a larger uh, struggle with the same struggles that you may have when you're in a smaller group. If there's 3% problems here and you have three people doing it, you might just have 12 people you know, doing it in a 400-member congregation. That's the struggle. And so just because you're stepping up and you're saying, well, you know, you're dusting the feet off, look at me, go, and you leave this work for a grander work because it's progressive, for your you know, professional career doesn't mean it's going to be better. And we have to keep that in mind. And if, if our view of ministry is strictly going to be based on the size of our congregation for the clout and, the, and the, the elevation of myself or others based on size or based on how much more money I'm making now than I was before, and again to say, look at me, I'm doing much, much better than I ever could have done with you people, then we might need to, to question whether or not our hearts and focus are really where they need to be. Now the advice is then never to put a price tag on peace of mind. Okay, now I'm not saying if you are literally, I got five sons, you know, and, and you're making uh, less than minimum, minimum wage and your family is suffering, I'm not saying don't look. I'm not saying that. But I am saying do not ever put a price tag on your peace of mind. Okay? And if we are able to do great things for a congregation where we are, and we're growing and developing, and we're connected to lives, and we're glorifying God, and Christ's blood is being declared to the world, then um, recognize the, the there, there's a certain sense of serenity and calm that you can't trade for money. And when you go from here to there, even though it's progress for you, and suddenly you lose out on all that, but you've got more money in the bank, you might very quickly realize you, know, you made a step that was ego-driven, that maybe not may not be as, as great as you thought it was just because you're on the other side of the fence, so to speak. Okay, so here's a little quote. So progress, progress is a matter of perspective then, okay? And always try to connect yourself to a work with God's I'm sorry, God's perspective first. Try to put yourself in God's position and see how God thinks things are and things ought to be, okay? And if you start with that premise, 
then even the things that may not be as good as they could be for you where you are can be made better. Okay, they can be made better. So here, here's a little quote we want you to hold on to. Came up with this uh, last Sunday. I want to read it to you, though, instead of just try to, try, to, try to say it. The way to detect true progress is when our hearts are framed for a more perfect alliance with God by faith in Christ. This makes progress not dependent on numbers, but something often only seen by God himself. See, what happens is as you're getting older, yeah, that's a cliche. Anyway, as we get older, as we develop from, you know, the, the young whippersnappers that we were, you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago, as the case may be, into now, and then into tomorrow, the idea is that a lot of the time we find progress in the ability to use talents that we have grown in. That becomes progress for us. And we find ourselves connected to lives instead of just using congregations as stepping stones to get somewhere greater in the future. We're connecting to lives. I would far more like to know that there's at least one person in heaven because of me than I would trying to climb a corporate ladder of success somewhere and become something more when in reality all that I've done doesn't seem to correlate with what I'm preaching and teaching about the love of Christ and the salvation of souls and all these things that we utilize to divide ourselves with, such as how much money we're making, how much education we have. In reality, once we get there, all those things are gone and we're all on the level of equality, right? We're either, we're either in Christ or we're not. So all that, all that you know, social division and, and reasons to elevate one above another and the, you know, the pharisaical divisions or the extreme, you know, whatever, all that stuff, when you think about it, is not part of God's desire and perspective. Once we get to heaven, things will be equated the way hopefully we're pushing for right now. Okay, so keep all those kinds of things in mind. When, when it happens, though, that regardless of reasons, we do want to progress, what are we going to do in that, in that progress? Jesus was God's own son. Jesus had a ministry of around three years. Jesus Christ's ministry is absolutely perfect, correct? No. Jesus had terrible enemies. Um, he, had, he had even his own inner circle, you know, turn on him, right? Isn't that the prophecy of, of Zechariah that he said, you know, you're going to be you're gonna basically be scattered? You know, they're going to be scattered. You're going to be right there alone? And so even in this great concept that Christ himself is Lord, and, and you would think the Lord himself would have the most perfect ministry ever, even his ministry was tainted with the imperfections of humans that were surrounding him. And I would think that we should be very careful not to expect that because I am who I am, and my degrees and my this and my that, which should make me elevated above and beyond that, do I expect more than what Jesus Christ had to endure is the question. And my answer would probably be we, we shouldn't. We should not do that. Now, in a perfect world, what would happen is we're struggling at church or with our congregation, and God drops a massive book in our lap and says, this is personally for you. Here's what's going to happen tomorrow, and next month you'll be with this congregation, and things are going to work out perfectly. And in fact, while I'm at it, I'm going to give you a lined out plan for the vision this congregation needs to have, so when you get there, you'll never ever leave. That would be the perfect world, right? But that's not how it works. So what do you do? Well, you recognize there's got to be some kind of biblical principle, right? I mean, we're here because we believe in the Word of God. We also are here because we recognize that not every specified issue that we deal with is going to be given a spe specific kind of, of utterance in God's Word. So what we learn is there have to be principles we seek. There have to be some kind of, of there has to be a principled approach that we do take to God's Word. And there, this is an example where the principles are going to rule. Now, if you look at little little preachers like, like Tychicus and Epaphroditus and Epaphras, you know, in the, in the, uh, primarily in the prison epistles there, you might be able to gather, gather some nuances. But my view is that when you look to the Word of God, you don't see the same di difficulties we face with regards to located preachers and disgruntled memberships and preachers having to pop from here to there. You just don't really see that. It's not, it's not the, the methodology that, that the writers are, are operating from, okay? So we have, to, we have to go a little deeper to try to figure out kind of what's, 
what's being said and what's going on. Um, I think there is one little, one little line or two there. There are principles and common courtesies that every ambassador of Christ needs to remember. Okay, so we can we can do ourselves a lot of good if we just utilize some common sense, uh, allow common courtesy to take place, and remember that we are ambassador of Christ above all else, and we want to make in even in negative situations make the very best appearance uh, for for the future. So common courtesy and principles from God's word will help us with that. Uh, who remembers Acts chapter nine twenty through twenty five? Remember that. Right, Acts chapter 9, the apostle, I'm sorry, Saul of Tarsus is converted, and it says he immediately began preaching Christ. Remember that? He immediately began preaching Christ in the synagogues. Okay? Since he preaches in the synagogues, what happens immediately thereafter? Jews want to kill him. They want to kill him. The basket comes. Now, sometimes, you know, is that you? <laughs> you know, that's the question. Uh, you may not have your life threatened, but sometimes we wish, don't we? Once you're going through those hard times when you're, you know, you're praying so hard, your knees are blistered, you know, and, and, uh, and they're, they're raw. And your, your emotions have been torn. And you're not sure what tomorrow is going to hold. And you're endeavoring to be the very best you can be and try to grant stability to a congregation that still looks to you. And yet you understand there are some undertones and currents there in the, in the leadership that may lead in your eventual departure. That hurts, right? It hurts. And so what do you do with that? Well, sometimes we want that basket to appear so they can let us up the wall and we can run on away, right? Uh, when you look at Timothy over in First. Well, both, both books of Timothy deal with the idea that when it comes right down to it, Paul gives Timothy things like this, endure heart, right? Endure as a soldier. Uh, never give up. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Never, ever give up. Endure. Uh, stick it out. Be bold. You know, those are the kinds of ideas. Now, did Timothy have a perfect work? Absolutely not. If you look over at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, uh, he, he dealt with people who were contradicting the Word of God, who had, who had um, what, who had, desires to confuse the situation. You know, so, so we shouldn't look to the idea that just because we've, we've come in society to a certain position in place, that we have become so educated, that we have become so this, that we forget that humanity still has its struggles and its problems. Okay? So that's the issue and issues that we face. So all of us in here, and I'm going to stop after this with allowing some interaction here as we go through these, these concepts in the last three um, Roman numerals. All of us have our own personal journeys to talk about. I'm just going to give you a little heads up on mine, and uh, you, know, you can probably put your name in some of these situations. I don't know. Back in 1998, I was with the uh, Salem Church of Christ right out the road here, and I was a youth minister out there. Youth minister. I always put that youth minister, associate slash youth minister. I like the idea of being an associate minister. So I'm an associate youth minister for Salem, and in 1998, I was graduating from International Bible College, now here at Christian University, and um, my departure with them after I graduated was, was something expected. You can understand that. Here he is. He's graduating. He's ready to go. And boom, James and Priscilla and their couple of sons by that time, they left out for East Texas. I'd been at Salem for about four years, moved to East Texas, had a congregation there with about 75 members. Loved those people. Great members there. Great people. Little town, 45 minutes to an hour from anything, you know. And we have a little, little Mayberry town, you know, 75 members. And by the time I left that little place, uh, nearly three and a half years later, we went from 75 to 125. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. 26 years old when I got there, 29 when I left. What I said earlier about ego, here's my problem. That was ego-driven. My departure from East Texas was ego-driven, and here's why. Here's a 29-year-old boy, who, a young man, who was told by East Tennessee that we want you to come work for us. So James Ferris jumps on that bandwagon as quickly as he can, 
going from a congregation of 125 to a congregation of 425. I'm thinking to myself, man, if I could, watch this, here's the way it works. If I can take a congregation of 75 members and make them 125, just watch out what I can do with 425. You ever thought that way when you're younger, maybe? That's the thinking. I'm going to tell you right now, this is, the, this is my admission. Ego took me to East Texas, or East Tennessee, I'm sorry. Now, while I was in East Tennessee, first day, terrible. I had three people come to my office bickering about the elders. Within three, I'm sorry, within four months, we had our first church split of nearly 50 people. Gone. I'm sitting there going, what I did? Didn't do anything, I don't think. Within another six months from there, we had another split. 40 more people are gone. Suddenly, that 425 you know, member congregation went down to about 350 really, really fast. That was on a good day. And my ego suddenly, okay, thank God I can use that to mature a person. Yes. Okay. During the next year and eight months, total up and down. Rarely was it up. Always down. I'd go to work feeling rough, and I would stay there feeling rough. And you have all these people who want to bicker and complain about the previous eldership because even though James asked, I think, the right questions in the elders meeting before I got hired, you know, is there anything I need to know? Elders didn't tell me what I needed to know. I walked right into it, and it was really, really bad. Right in your face, right, Keith? Right in your face. And so by the time the allowance came for me to leave East Tennessee or Florence, Alabama, I was so ready for it. I felt like God just opened that door, and you think I was ready to walk through it. Yeah, that was my basket over the wall. And I was like, yeah, thank you, Lord. Here I am. So here I follow Sonny Owens to Petersville, and I had nearly eight and a half years in Petersville in a very calm, serene kind of work, which is exactly what I needed at the time for healing. It took me two and a half to three years to heal, really just to start healing over things I dealt with out there in East Tennessee. And to this day, I still got a guy who was the ramrod of all that trouble, and he still calls me asking Bible advice. I'm saying, "What are you doing? You know, what are you talking to me about this for?" But he, he's trying to make amends, and of course, I'm, I'm working with him on that. So when I when I get to Petersville, I have this eight and a half years. Things are good there. Things are good. <clears throat> the decision for me to leave Petersville was God's decision. I say it that way because it wasn't mine this time. It wasn't that I needed a basket over the wall. It wasn't that I had any ego trips going on. It was a congregation in Nashville called me up. Dr. Sellers Crane was retiring. He and I have been friends for some years. They said, just, just uh, talk to us. So I did. Boom. Out of 70 applicants, here they come. They called me, and we go. My parents were living up there. This is a funny end of the story. But anyway, my parents were living up there. They're retired. You know, I'm like, perfect timing. Go on up there and take care of mom and dad. Mother-in-law lost her husband several years back. Feared to take care of mother-in-law. Moved up here. Just hit two-year mark last Sunday morning. And uh, mom and dad are moving to Florence. <laughs> what in the world's going on? Barry Anderson's house came up for sale, and you might remember Barry Anderson had a, he was one of the founders of this institution. Uh, he moved he, he moved on up to heaven, and, uh, and my parents moved into his house. They bought his home, and now my parents are leaving to come here. So that just puts me in this area a little bit longer. But the, but the bottom line here is this: I've been now two years in Rivergate. Things have been good, smooth sailing, no problems, and I have developed a sense of what does, what does not work. You develop a relationship with how your elders particularly work and function and, and uh, what, uh, continue with their vision. And so you learn what does and, and what should not be ever brought up, and you learn how to conform to the works that you feel like can be uh, doing great things for a future in terms of progress. So every single time I've ever moved, here's the point, every time besides the Texas, the East Tennessee, I see there is some kind of progress that in me has enabled a positive kind of maturity and growth. When your, spirit, when your focus is spiritual, regardless of the good or the bad, you're going to come out of this thing stronger. And that's the beauty of living in 
uh, Christ and working and developing your life in the ministry, okay? So what we're going to do in just a, a few few little, little, uh, uh, few little moments here is always look to progress in the most important things, okay? It's not about the money. It's not about the, the number. Um, leave with grace and compassion so that everyone who is involved in the transition can actually be made better without the resentments, without the negative emotions that are attached. I, I would like to think that if I went to Petersville, you know, tomorrow or East Tennessee, you know, next week, that they would embrace me with open arms. That's what you want to think, you know. And one of the great things about the, the East Tennessee work is, you know, for about a year and a half there, two years, I didn't hear from them. And I was okay with that. I knew that I, I was, by the way, for that, that job, a buffer preacher. I was. And now they had a, a guy come in for about seven and a half, eight years. Very smooth. Next new man is here now for them again. And it's doing, doing well. So they have matured. They have grown. And they've healed quite a bit, too. Okay, so now they invite me to come up there nearly every six or seven months to do something. So it does work out, even though the, the, the past may be jagged, uh, the road may be treacherous getting there, but the, things do work out for the ultimate development, okay? So let's go ahead and look at some unhealthy reasons to leave that could prevent, could be prevented. Uh, our youth minister decided to leave. Uh, last Sunday was his last day. So I was actually jotting down some of these ideas while he was speaking because I was just you know, clicking what he was doing, where he was going. I was listening. Don't worry, Jeremiah 29 was his topic. So anyway, we're going to move on from there. But here, here's what I wanted to share with you. These are the practical things. And we'll stop after every section to take comments or questions, okay? Uh, first thing is this. This can cause you to leave. Uh, critics are alive and well today. Who in here has ever faced a critic in the congregation where you are? If you haven't, then please see me. I'd like to put in an application where you are. Because uh, I think criticism is alive and well. And can criticism hurt you? Can it discourage you? Can it break you down slowly? Sometimes, you know, we think, hey, I'm, I'm made of, you know, I have this kind of, you know, turtle-like shell on the back, and I'll just put my head in here. It won't hurt. It'll deflect right off. That's not really the way it works. We hear these things, and one or two every now and then is okay. We can handle it. But when it comes down to it, we get more of those. And, and the more we get, the, the weaker our shell becomes. And eventually it kind of cracks through, and we might be ready to leave because of, of criticisms that discourage and frustrate us. Uh, number two, vision's often difficult to find. Uh, I've, had, I've had this happen. You might talk to an eldership over and over and over and over again. Say, look, here's the demographic of our congregation. Here's what's going to happen in the next five years. Here's what we need to do to, to sway the future. And it doesn't happen. And you're sitting there thinking, why not? And when your vision for a congregation fails to, what? Fails to coincide with the vision of the leadership of that congregation, that can discourage you too. And that might cause you to want to find a place where your vision uh, coincides with and is comparable to the vision of those outside. So you might get hungry for something that you're not receiving now. The third one is moral failures. Uh, you might leave because of moral failure. It could be yours or someone else's. Uh, what did 1 Peter 5, 8 say? You know, the, your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, right? Uh, preachers aren't immune from that, are they? They're just not immune at all. So what we can say is set up for yourself some safeguards so that that kind of problem won't be the issue you have to deal with in, in three months down the road or six months or a year or whatever. Okay? Uh, I'll say a little more about that. We've got a lot to cover. Number four, who in here has ever faced burnout? You ever had burnout? Burnout can come from one of two ways. One way would be that you have no work ethic whatsoever. It's burned out. You just don't do it. You're not doing anything. You become tagged as the lazy preacher. Okay? Lazy preacher, right? That's all we do. We do nothing. All right? The other is extreme workaholic. A guy who gives so much, he sets the tone that the congregation starts to expect that tone, and he can't break free, and the workout, or the, the workaholism, eventually overtakes him with age or time, and uh, he might be ready for a change himself. Uh, it does set up the next preacher for having to dictate, or I'm sorry, having to replicate what was done by the previous preacher, and so that becomes difficult too. 
So there's a fine line there and a happy balance we need to be pushing for, okay, and all that. Next would be this, a forced departure. You ever heard these words? We just think it's time for a change. You ever heard that one? We just think it's time for a change. And if you really get down into it, you don't just walk off from that, right? We're always like, well, why? You ask the first question, why? And it's going to be something like, well, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, this is the most trite garbage I've ever heard. What are you talking about? And usually something has happened because one or two little people have their feathers ruffled about something. It usually is not doctrinal but an opinion, right? And that can stir up the hornet's nest, and pretty soon you have you know, 5%, and they rally the cost of 28%. Once it's 40, boy, you better you just throw it out and say, you know, it's time for me to go ahead and go because I can't maybe, quote, overcome the, uh, the muddy water that's already taken place here uh, this particular time. So that might be an issue. Uh, financial struggles. Struggling ministers cannot be as as beneficial to their congregation as members who are uh, as ministers who are taking care of financially. And I think we are in last. My dad was a preacher, so I watched dad you know, back in the seventies and eighties. Okay, I remember how this was. Um, I think we as congregations are doing much better with this than we were before. I think there's a the, the idea is these are professional people, and they're doing this for our livelihood. They have a family, and they have to be you know taken care of by the congregation, in, in a sense. So in that, in that regard, a minister that has financial uh, stability can be a much more effective minister in that area. And that might be one reason why people do leave. In terms of progress earlier, it might be because you need more, and because of your situation having changed, you might require more. And maybe the congregation can't do that, and once you talk to them about it, you can work out a mutually beneficial situation, therefore the best possible end result. Finally, joy is taken. Joy is taken away. Because here's what happens a lot of time. We work so hard in getting all that knowledge and spiritual wisdom into our minds and our, our brains just because we have to you know, give it back to them on Sundays, Wednesday nights that we forget to keep it in our hearts. Right? And once we lose sight of the joy behind why we're doing what we're doing, we're going to come up in some struggles. Okay? So can anyone add to anything we just said? Unhealthy reasons that might can be prevented. Do you have anything else you want to throw in? No wrong answers. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, on number five, he said, forced departure. My favorite phrase that I heard was, there's nothing you have done or haven't done. You have the right fit. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. That's not and, right and, and come to find out, talking with a mentor yep. later, I've gotten too busy. Oh, wow. Okay, I've gotten too busy. So, I mean, sometimes okay. you are doing the work. Right. It's just something you can't, you. you can't prevent. Yeah, that's right. Not you. Perception is a big deal. Perception is reality in the eye of the holders. And when one person thinks something about you, they're going to talk to their little friends about it, and that becomes the reality for so many. So that's a difficulty for sure. Anybody else over here? We have a female perspective you'd like to share? See the females back there? <laughs> the minority? All right, very good. Um, anything else? We're doing actually pretty good on the time. So the rest of it's going to be innately practical. So here we go. James, you mentioned yes. time. Landis whispered to me about okay. We need to stop about a quarter till. Okay, about. We're going to be up there. About. So about <laughs> means. <laughs> All right, we'll try to get this on out pretty quick. He told me that. That wasn't me that's saying fine. that. No, that's fine. Okay, so when you go, what would the recommendations be? If I were going to look at you and say, you know, hey, you know, you're leaving, what now? All right, so when you take off, when you leave, how can you leave in such a way as to maintain a kind of sense of spiritual, what, propriety with the congregation that you're leaving from so that in the future you can still come back and be friends with them because they are your brethren and you are in fellowship at the very same time? What things ought we do to uh, enable our landing on the other side to be even better? Okay, so that's what we're going to go right quick through. Number one is give plenty of notice. All right, you work out the details with your leadership. It might be a month. It might be three months. Don't know. I've seen six months happen before, and that seems to me 
And this personally seems to be a, a pretty long venture. But I will say this. The opposition to this is abrupt departures leave a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a, literally I had a preacher out here that I heard about uh, also in East Tennessee. He got up and preached a sermon Sunday morning. And after the invitation song was over, he said to a 300-member congregation, this is my last sermon. See you later. And he left. Didn't come back. Elders didn't know. Deacons didn't know. His wife knew, and that was it. So that, to me, is, is one of those abrupt departures that, that brings about questions in the mind. You know, what have we done? Did we cause this? Did I cause this? Is there some personal struggle you're dealing with that maybe we can help you out with? Those are the kinds of things that you want to uh, not hurt people over. And simple reasons why you're leaving can stop the gossip from starting. Okay, give, give. When I told Peter's why I was leaving, it wasn't because I hated anybody. It wasn't because we were having problems. You know, it was because... Uh, you know, we felt like it's time to get home to mom and dad, and the door of opportunity came. We took it. That was it. That was it. Nothing bad. Nothing uh, except maybe leaving him and James back there. It was probably the best part. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, regardless of that, though, be positive and and realize that greater things are ahead for you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, a united announcement with the eldership or leadership is very very strong. I think it's always a good thing when you see. The elders are standing up there behind you. You make the statement, or they make a statement, then you make a statement right behind it. That is a, a symbol of strength and unity between leadership present and preacher present so that it helps the congregation to see, hey, there's nothing underhanded and deviant going on behind the, behind the scenes. This is on the up and up, okay? Um, that's, that's number two. Number three, you want as little drama as possible. Now is not the time to bring up how come you dislike X and Y. I mean, that's, hey, by the way, that's what you want to do sometimes. You want to. I want to say, you know, in East Tennessee, so-and-so, terribly deviant, can't believe he's part of your leadership. you got to deal with this when I'm gone, sorry. You know, that's what you want to do. But it doesn't really help the healing, and truth be told, if that is reality, then it will be made manifest in time. They'll see it. You won't have to point it out. We are ambassadors of Christ. So these are your brethren, so speak positively. That's a key. Number four. Be thankful for the lessons learned, and be thankful for the maturity that has, in fact, been gained, okay? Um, you have grown and matured. If you, have to, in, if you have to maybe request that they have an interim preacher because your departure is going to be so hard and, you know, on the people that you're leaving behind, request one. At the very same time, you have learned, okay, uh, and you've grown, and God has greater things in mind for you. Uh, so just be... Again, thankful for what God has enabled you to do. Number five, leave on the best possible terms. This has been implied the entire time. Uh, contrary to your popular expectation, maybe the church is not going to crumble when you leave. That's ego again. I, I, you know, I've thought that before. You know that well, once I'm gone, then this ministry is going to think this is going to be bad. No, the church is resilient. It bounces back, and people fill those spaces. And churches, you know, can do well uh, even after I or you are gone. You've grown to love them. So appreciate them and pray for their future. Number six, do not leave with unforgiveness in your heart. Uh, they are part of the body of Christ. You will be with them for eternity. And I wouldn't want to leave with some sort of conflict with a brother or sister that only when you leave continues to grow and fester in their heart and mind. So try to use that time as a time to uh, finish unfinished business. Number seven, when you leave, people are going to be hurting. Our youth minister, like I said, just left, and as soon as he made the announcement a couple of months ago, one young lady in youth group, 13, I'm sorry, 14 years old, she was closed off. It just destroyed her. That was the guy that had been with her in those from nine you know, years up to up to 
14 or so, and it was formative development time for her. She was baptized while he was there, you know, and he was always there for her. She was hurting, and people are going to hurt. Uh, if you have to recommend, you know, it may sound weird to you. Why would that? You know, if you have to recommend counseling, to do that. It's not unhealthy for your brethren to hurt when you're gone. They may even apply. They may. You may need that basket inside the wall. <laughs> All right. Um, number eight. This is extremely important. Uh, listen closely. Do not forget your own family in this process. Because not only is the congregation having to transition into a life without you as their minister, but your family is having to transition out of a life they have known maybe for a long, long time. Uh, and it's very difficult on teenage young people. I would say any any age, but particularly teenagers. Andrew and Timothy, uh, now 20, 20 years old, 18 years old. They were here, you know, for eight and a half years. So going to out, going to Nashville, Tennessee, in Timothy's mind, was the worst thing that ever happened. You know, all of his friends are here. He got here today, and within five minutes, friend just picked him up and threw him off. <laughs> that's just the connection they still have. But that's the idea. It's very difficult. And if, we, if we're so enamored by and enthralled with trying to keep the peace and the calm and the transition, you know, pure and beautiful over here that we forget the needs of our own kids and we, we need to really reposition and refocus what our, what our uh, pursuits are. You know, we need to keep that intact. In uh, number nine, I, I try and do this all whenever I do have opportunity. Encourage the next preacher from your pulpit. He's not your enemy. Mm -hmm. He is a friend of yours because you are, you are, in a sense, entrusting him to a work you have developed for him for the last eight and a half years or whatever the case may be. So you love him. You want to talk about him from the pulpit. Uh, comparisons, by the way, are not fair. They want anybody to compare me to Sonny Owens. Sonny Owens is far greater than I ever will be. And I know that. Look at it. You want to hug Sonny Owens? Anyway, so that's Sonny Owens. I didn't want people comparing me to Sonny. Did people compare me to Sonny? Absolutely. Do I want people comparing me to the next preacher? No, it's not fair on me. It's not fair on him. Might be less fair <laughs> when they start comparing how much better you know he may be than I am. So so I, I say that on, on my last few weeks, you know, don't compare. It's not about apples and oranges here. This is about all of us are ministers. We all have the same desire for you, and uh, we will approach this with the same heart and, and you know, awareness of who you are. Uh, number 10, give that new guy time to develop his work. Uh, when I first got to Cleveland, Tennessee, I had a, I had a, <laughs> had a guy who was rather, I'm not going to say flamboyant, but well-known preacher who had been there a couple times before me. And... Um, <laughs> He jumped back in within just a month and a half of me being there. And uh, I didn't know him from anybody else. And I, I took offense to it just because I needed time for stabilizing. And I wasn't getting it. And I sure wasn't getting it. When he came in, suddenly everybody's like, do, 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 go to him because he's been here with us for 10 years, you know, 14 years ago. And yet, have you got time to develop his own work? I think that's a, a kind-hearted gesture. I'm even very careful, unless in extreme <laughs> circumstances, about coming back and doing, this may sound really, really bad, but even coming back and doing funerals. You know, unless it's an extreme, I came back and did Sister um, uh, Betty McHenry's funeral at Petersville because they were very, very close with me. And I, you know, I, I, I turned several down just because new preacher was there. It's time for him to step up and, and develop those those things himself. So I'm just How much really, time really is careful it? about that. How much time is it? Well, I'm thinking 18 months to 24 months. That's just me. It can be, use your conscience on that. Again, if ego's not in here, we're not so concerned about jumping in like, hey, I'm still the man around here. You know, that's not what we want to. But if, if we can give a legitimate ministry to the congregation that's really needed, uh, maybe you talk with the preacher and let him know, hey, I'm not here to overpower you or, or become a comparison to you, but just to help out because I was requested to. That may be a little different. There's always going to be extenuating circumstances there, too. But I think, I think a couple of years is not a bad thing. That's just me. All right, finally. Yeah, go ahead. Well, number six. Yes. Leave with unforgiveness. Yes. 
that's not always possible. Uh, well, what I would have, you're right. I was terribly hurt in East Tennessee. Well, I, you're talking I, about yeah. you're talking on their part to you. Well, no, what I'm saying is, the congregation I was with, yeah, went in on men's meeting, okay, walked in, sat down, yeah. First statement out of the guy's mouth: Are we keeping or getting rid of Dennis? Wow, see that was, that's abrupt. That was Painful. yeah, that, right. You know, and, and that, yeah. so my attitude I had was, we'll just make this easy. Yeah, Lord, help me. I'm done. You know? yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> and, and I walked away. I was hurt, uh-huh. but I, I think I was more hurt uh-huh. by the fact that I hurt my son. Oh man! Because Joshua went through this worse than I did. Yeah, being ripped out, man. Exactly. Ripped out. Can't do anything to stop it. It's, uh, and it took it yeah, took a little bit of time on that sure trip. Did they vote? I gotta know. Did they vote? Did they vote? What did they say? I didn't give them a chance to. <laughs> You're out of there. All right. All right. My attitude was: if it's coming down to y'all, got to vote whether I'm staying or not. Yeah, I don't think we come on, man. Really. All right, let's, let's really quick go through this real, real fast. We have about three minutes here. Uh, when you land in a new congregation, and these are just my views, establish your appreciation for their history. Okay, That congregation has been there 142 years. You weren't there until just now. All right, That congregation has obviously stabilized themselves uh, in their history so that you can appreciate who they are. Uh, Rivergate, where I am now, I've had a history of them since literally the day I, you know, when I was born. Uh, got, got really just two preachers. I'm the third one since they, I'm actually the second one in the new building, Third one in the last 80 years. <laughs> I mean, literally. You had Clifford Owens, and you had Dr. Sellers Crane, and me. That's it. So that congregation has been around a lot longer than that, but in their new building and all that, they've only had three preachers in the last 80 years, 75 or 80 years. So um, anyway, so make, make, it, make it smooth as far as transitions. Establish your appreciation for them. Number two, applaud the leadership now for the decision to bring you on. I mean, are you a commodity or an asset, right? You're a liability or not? You know, if, you, if you are an asset... And you're positive for them, appreciate them publicly for the decision to begin right now with you being there, okay? Third one is this. You're not going to be revisiting mistakes of the past, uh, even even mistakes, even though mistakes have worked out for the good. I, I point that out. You, you get in there, you're brand new. Someone comes up and he says, you know what they did a year and a half ago? I can't believe it. I'm like, well, hey, it's led us to where we are right now. And if all things work together for good, then me being here can work for the good. Let's just move on pretend like we have a brand new chapter in the history. This book is opened. Let's write some good pages on this chapter. Okay, that's the idea. All right, so don't revisit that stuff. There's so much hearsay out there. There's so many disgruntled, again, trite people who, who can't let something go. It's just, it's perturbing and irritating. Uh, number number next, a new chapter does not ignore previous chapters, but, but builds for a lasting legacy. All right, I love. Clifford Owens. He has been a friend of my family's. He got my dad the job at Gospel Advocate back in 1971, I think it was. No, I'm sorry, 1973. Love Clifford Owens. Love Sellers Crane. Been a friend of his since, you know, since he started there in 1987. But I'm building on top of that with whatever you know, I, can, I can offer. And the last one there is periodically remind them that you're there for them. You are affirming periodically that you're their servant. You're serving Christ on their behalf. You will be there for them when things are needed and needful for you. That's the very last idea. Periodically remind them that you are there as their servant and give constant affirmation to that fact. Don't just say it when you first get there and then you know kind of digresses for the next three or four years because you're getting you know ready to leave or whatever. But keep that in mind and that will keep your work fresh and it will help you in the future. So when you leave, keep in mind one last thing. When you leave anywhere, you are starting over. Don't forget that. 
sometimes I think we want, you know, hey, the grass is greener on the other side expression, and we can't wait to start again, and that's great. But don't forget, you do have to start over. And that means reshaping, reforming, relearning, 425 names and all this. It can be quite, quite a task. All right. Comments, questions before we close this out? Thank you for saying about writing new history. Right, we are. Because that is, uh, it's so hard for us to get past our past. Okay. Can be. Can be. And that legacy of 40 years ago is what they're still holding on to. Let's make some greater. Make some greater now. Among other things, yeah. the concept of starting new is yes. good because you don't want the struggles of the past to be applied to you. Okay, right. And when some people start complaining to you about what was done in the past, everyone yeah. has their version, and then there's the truth. Yeah, and right. uh, it's good for them to instantly see that they can't complain to you. Mm. They need to look at you as a, as a new guy as well. Yeah, yeah. The preachers are easy to stigmatize, and once that reality, that that their perception of reality is on you, you know, it's, it's hard to break that. It's hard to overcome that kind of. I guess you call it what? Kind of like, almost like a mold, you know, stuck to you. That's all they see. You know, it's terrible. You still have a good shower. And be better. <laughs> be fresh. <laughs> all right. Maintain freshness. I should say it like that. <laughs> all right. Anyone else have anything? Appreciate you listening. We we'll hope something I've said you know, strike true. And if you ever face it in the future, uh, we'll do so with the right motivation and the right perspective. Uh, spiritual guidance and spiritual focus is to be primary. All right, let's end with a quick prayer, okay? Let's all pray. God, we thank you so much for granting us an opportunity like this. We know that, Father, the, uh, the weather may have been not what we wanted it to be for the last few days, but it has enabled us today to join together as brethren and to be strengthened by our attachment to each other. Father, as we look ahead to our lives as ministers, help us to keep our focus where it needs to be. Help us to remember that we are in every way ambassadors of Christ, we are your servants, and with that servant's heart, Father, we recognize you have already shown us uh, the ways to be, the life to live, and the expression, Father, is an expression of, of spirit. It's a desire to show Christ in our lives. And, Father, if we hold on to these things, we will have the, uh, the strength we need to go on and to be able to handle the kinds of stresses and struggles that do, do face us. Help us to remember in all things that you are working in our lives for the greater good, that we obviously, Father, have heaven as our home and goal. But, Father, while we're here, we are guaranteed that you're here with us. Bless this room full of good people. May we all have safety as we go to our homes and places tonight. Give us a desire to, to recommit ourselves to ministering for you and for your cause. May we be a glory to your name and a blessing in the lives of others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.